Uh, we're going to start the year, as you can see, with a new series on the book of Proverbs. And um, I want to start out by telling you a story out of my life that helps me to appreciate the book of Proverbs. I've lived in the house I live in for about 25 years now. And about 12 years ago, a couple moved in to an apartment upstairs in the house next door. It's a young couple, and they were going to take care of their grandmother. And with them came this dog, and the dog's name was Bruce. Now, Bruce was a huge black lab, and I still to this day believe that he was a cross between a dog and a great white shark. He had huge teeth, and Bruce hated me. I mean, every time I'd walk by their house, Bruce would run to their fence and he would jump on it and snarl at me and bark and growl. And so I was kind of scared of him. Well, one day I walked into my backyard and in my backyard stood Bruce. Well, it was a little intimidating and suddenly I hear my neighbor yell at me, don't run, he'll bite you. Well, fortunately, my neighbor came over and he got Bruce and, and he took Bruce back into, into his yard and, and I was really kind of angry about this and I didn't know what to do. I was kind of thinking maybe I should call him on control or do I call the sheriff? What do I do about this situation? And then the next morning I was reading in the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, and it said, those who promote peace have joy. And I thought, well, maybe God's will was trying to speak to me into this situation. So what I did that evening is after I'd finished dinner, I had some leftovers, and I went over to my neighbor and said, is it okay if I give those to Bruce? And, and he said, well, sure. And so I went to the fence, and Bruce was snarling and growling, and I threw some leftovers into his backyard, and Bruce went over and ate them. And I kind of started doing this on a routine basis. And over time, Bruce became you know, instead of being angry every time he saw me, he would walk over to the fence and wait for me to feed him. And I could actually feed him by hand. And, and, and there even came a time where I could pet Bruce. And Bruce then, when he would come into my yard, he'd get loose, he wasn't a threat. In fact, he was security. Wisdom was not creating this war and making Bruce my enemy, but actually turning him into my friend. So we are going to talk about wisdom to begin this year. Uh, wisdom is the ability to see clearly and choose correctly what is best. Now, this year many of us are going to make decisions. We're entering 2017 and we might be making some big decisions. Are we going to move, buy a new house, a new vehicle, maybe change career? whether we're going to support the Minnesota Vikings after 46 years of disappointment. <laughs> Big decisions. And so we thought it would be a great time to look at this book of wisdom called the book of Proverbs. So let's pray and we'll jump right into the start of Proverbs. Uh, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity here to gather at the beginning of this year to look into your word, to study, to, to try and learn the wisdom and will that you have preserved for us. Lord, I just pray for the active participation of your Holy Spirit in this sermon, in this teaching, and through, through our worship. Lord, I just pray that uh, where people are enemies of God, where they're warring against him, 
that uh, you draw them to yourself. And Lord, I pray for the work of, of the Holy Spirit, and I'm so thankful for the salvation that comes through your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, let's start out with the beginning of the book of Proverbs, and uh, we're going to read chapter 1, verse 1. It's on the screen, and it's in your bulletin. Okay? Uh, the beginning of knowledge. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So let's just look at a few things here. First of all, the book of Proverbs comes from a section of the Bible that's known as the wisdom literature. Generally, people will list different books in that particular section, but they may include Job's, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and Psalms. But everyone believes that Proverbs is the preeminent book of wisdom. It, in fact, it's so important that Proverbs may be one of the ways of really understanding God's will in our situations in life. So let's go through a few questions. I have some questions in your bulletin. And the first one is this. What is a proverb? Well, a proverb is a short statement that contains wisdom, truth, or morals. A proverb is a short statement that contains wisdom, truth, or morals. We have modern-day proverbs that all of you have probably heard. Uh, things like, two wrongs don't make a right. The pen is mightier than the sword. When in Rome, do as Romans do. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. No man is an island. These are things that we've kind of logged into our mind. And when we're in certain situations, we pull them out. Uh, I, for example, have my own set of Proverbs, things that I've learned from life, things from my experience. For example, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it, obviously, because I did something. Uh, some of the best emails I ever sent were the ones I never sent. That sounds weird, right? But have you ever gotten an email from somebody? And then it was something nasty. Yeah, evidently she did. And so you pounded out this long email in response. And all you did was create a war with someone. And I found maybe the best thing to do is actually pick up the phone and call them. Uh, people will embrace change in the long run as long as they can experience stability in the short run. Because I've been in places where they tried to change things so quickly and radically that people didn't react well. So over my life, I've collected a few of these parables. Solomon collected thousands. In fact, the Bible suggests that he may have had a collection of 3,000 parables. We have a few hundred of those in the, or I'm sorry, Proverbs. A few hundred of these Proverbs are recorded in the book of Proverbs. 
The word, the word here that's the root is a Hebrew word called or named mashal. Mashal means instruction given to a ruler. So the Proverbs are instruction given from a ruler. But the ruler here is actually God through the Holy Spirit that has inspired these writings. So these are concentrated truths that tell us about the will of God. The second question in your bulletin is, who is the primary author of the book of Proverbs? Who is the primary author of the book of Proverbs? Well, we've already saw in verse 1, Solomon. Solomon was a Jewish king that ruled about 950 years before Jesus. But if you read through the book of Proverbs, which I would encourage you to do, if you read one chapter a day, they're short, uh, there are 31 chapters, you will in the month of January, have finished the entire book as we go through it. You'll encounter a couple of other names, such as the name of Agar, which means compiler. Uh, some people actually believe that that might also be Solomon. It may be another independent person. He's responsible for Proverb 30. And the name Lemuel, or King Lemuel, uh, it's interesting that Lemuel is never found in any of the genealogies of the Jewish people, nor do they record anywhere a King Lemuel. That makes people believe, uh, many scholars, Bible scholars believe, that that was actually another name for Solomon, that this is information given or proverbs given to him by his mother, uh, Bathsheba. Uh, there's also a few other times where it mentions the writings of the wise, some people believe that these were a collection of uh, uh, proverbs that were gathered by wise men under King Hezekiah. The important thing is that the primary author, the one who is responsible for the majority of it, is King Solomon. Now, who was Solomon? Well, Solomon was the son of King David. And King David built an empire in Israel. Uh, he pounded out and fought great wars. His son, when he came to power, Solomon, asked God for wisdom. And God said, you know, this is a great thing because you ask for wisdom to rule my people. And because you ask for wisdom, I'm going to give you all the things you didn't ask for. You didn't ask for riches, for wealth, for, for honor, but I'm going to give you those too because you asked for the most important thing, how to rule my people well. Uh, Solomon had a great deal of power. In fact, he built the first temple. Solomon's temple is where God's glory actually was located in the Holy of Holies. God's physical presence here on earth, the Shekinah glory, was actually found in the Holy of Holies within Solomon's temple. It was a time of great renown. In fact, people would travel to Israel, to Jerusalem, from all around the world to receive wisdom from Solomon. He would kind of hold these wisdom sessions. And people, we know that rulers from Egypt and Africa would come. And they would come and ask uh, Solomon. They would say, I have this dilemma in, in leading my country. And Solomon would give them the wisdom. And uh, they would say, well, that's wonderful. That's amazing. How do you know these things? And he would tell them about God. It was a way he brought great glory and attention to God. So Solomon is the primary author, and he is the one who is most responsible for the book of Proverbs. What is the purpose of the book of Proverbs? 
Well, the purpose of the book of Proverbs is actually listed at the beginning, to know wisdom and instruction. The purpose of Proverbs is that we might know wisdom, that we might be able to take our knowledge and make good choices. But more than that, it's to know the will of God. It is how God wants us to interact in the world. The key verse in the book of Proverbs comes very early. It's in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, that's a verse that we're going to see that the fear of the Lord is repeated over and over and over through the book of Proverbs. In fact, it's repeated 18 times and many, many more times in the Bible. Fear of the Lord, it must be a very significant thing in our lives. And it must be something that we should understand. So the question for today is, do you fear the Lord? Now, many of us might say, well, yes. But do you really understand what it means? So let's, first of all, look at what fear of the Lord might mean. I read two books in preparing for this sermon. Uh, one author talked about fear of the Lord for a Christian as being, uh, uh, having a great respect for God. Another author talked about it as having a great awe of God. And I do think that, that that's not wrong, that being in awe of the creator of the universe is right. And, and respecting God and treating him uh, the way, he, uh, with the worth that he is due, should be something believers should do. But I think it goes farther than that. I believe for non-Christians, for those who do not believe that Jesus died for their sins, the fear of God should be the fear of death. It should be the fear of going to hell. I think we should be very clear about that. As Christians, we should not dance around that because fearing God and fearing hell is a real thing. It's something we should not walk away. I think too often we in the Christian community, especially the evangelical church, we, we get things kind of out of balance. We look at the nature of God at his attributes and we understand his mercy and we understand his justice. But all we want to do is talk about his mercy. And that's all you hear in what we preach and what we sing and how we respond. And we leave his justice down here somewhere as an afterthought. But that's not God. The opposite would be wrong. It would be wrong to only talk about his justice and never his mercy. But they have to be in balance. There has to be a truth to it. To understand that just as much as God has mercy... He has to have justice. He can't be without justice. It's his nature. Sometimes I think this is the picture we give to those outside the Christian community. We talk about the story of Noah. And it becomes kind of like a children's picture book or pop-up book. It's just this fun little zoo on a boat during a river, you know, a big flood. And, and everybody's happy. But that's not the reality of the Bible. The reality of the Bible is that God looked at man and saw that every inclination of his heart was to do evil. And so God brought a great flood and people died. Large numbers, we don't know how many, but many people died. Now, in the truth, that picture is what's more likely. Because you see the ark, God's mercy in saving Noah and his family. But you also see his justice. And that the result of sin 
was death. So we have to have a balanced approach. Now, you might say, and people have said, well, that's Old Testament, God, Craig. That's not New Testament. That's not Jesus. Let's look at a verse, a few verses in the book of Revelation, beginning at chapter 2, verse 18. <clears throat> that to the church in Thyatira, and this is Jesus' revelation to the apostle John. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, it's Jesus, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, God's mercy, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Revelation reveals, New Testament reveals, that Jesus is not a wimp, that Jesus still is active. So you might ask the question, as a believer, as a Christian, should I fear God in the same way as you say a non-Christian or unbeliever in Jesus should fear God. Well, there is a difference. There is a difference in the way we feel, fear God. In the book of John, also the author of Revelation, but he also wrote a letter. And in the letter to John, 1 John, he says this. He says, true love casts out fear. And he's talking there about judgment day. He's talking about the fear of hell. For a believer, we should not fear hell. We should not fear destruction. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that's not the same. Martin Luther put it this way. Martin Luther said there's two kinds of fear. There is the fear of the person who is not a Christian. Who It's like the fear of a prisoner who is waiting execution. It's a, a dread of what's about to happen. But then there's the fear that a believer has. And that's different. The fear that a Christian has is the fear of more like a parent's punishment to a child. It's more of a fear of not making that parent pleased with you. It's a different kind of fear. Listen closely. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Living wisely. The focus here is not the same for the Christian and the non-Christian. For a non-Christian, we should tell them it is a dread of hell. You should fear hell. You should fear death. But for the Christian, the focus is a sense of awe, respect, and reverence of the Father. It's an understanding of the majesty of God and accepting that. 
As a Christian, we may approach the throne boldly. We are told that. And we may call him Abba Father. But we are never to take God in a flippant or cavalier attitude to show him any kind of disrespect. We are always to have a healthy respect for God. John MacArthur in his Bible commentary puts it this way. Fearing God is to live in the reality of God's holiness, his sovereignty, and his judgment of sin. So does the biblical... So, so does the believer need to fear God's discipline? Well, the book of Hebrews says yes. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 5, it says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens Every son whom he receives. Discipline is different though. See, the way I would think of it is like this. I did not fear that my father would destroy me or kill me. But I did fear that he would correct me. Now you might say, so I'm sick or I have cancer. Is that God's discipline? You know, I I don't think we should take every illness and every circumstance and do that. Every time you have a sniffle, it's not God. Sometimes it's just a virus. Okay? We live in a fallen, broken world, and we live in fallen and broken bodies. But you will face trials, and if you are living in a situation where you know it's sinful, and things happen to you that are rough, perhaps you should ask God, Perhaps you should sit down and pray and ask him, what are you trying to show me through this? What am I trying to learn? When facing a trial, ask God to show you what you need. Hebrews 12 describes God's discipline of the believer. It's done in love. It's not to destroy you. It is done, though, to correct you. In addition, we also have to think about it this way. Should we not want to please the creator of the universe? Should we not want to be with the one who is great? I observe things, and you know what I think? I think we all know as Christians, we believe that God is big and huge and everything, and we know that he doesn't want us to walk away from him and do things that don't please him. But I observe things in people. For example, I was riding one day with this guy. I I don't drive, so he was driving. And, and I noticed how he kept going above the speed limit when we were on the interstate. And, and then when we got to a city, I noticed how, you know, every time he saw a yellow light, he speeded up to get through it. That's a sin, by the way. Maybe not. Um, and I was noticing these things. And then suddenly this police car pulled up behind us. He didn't do that stuff anymore. Why? Because he saw that... There was a reality to him that something was there. Fear of God should be this continued awareness that God is watching everything we think, say, and do. Fear of God should cause us to act differently, just like that driver acted differently when he saw the policeman in the rearview mirror. We have, uh, my wife and I own an Amazon parrot. Uh, That's him. It's named Simon. Now, 
you probably don't know much about parrots. I didn't know much about parrots till we got him. He's, we've had him for about 10 years now. And um, in the wild, parrots eat nuts. So they can take a, a walnut or an almond, and they literally, with their beak, can crack through the shell. They're a powerful animal. And in fact, whenever we handle him, we have to use a dowel rod. Now, you'll notice the tip of the dowel rod here. He did that. <laughs> really, he did that. He'll sit here and he'll chew on that. And so he could take off my finger. Okay. Now, when I feed my wife's pet tortoise, it's a school pet, I don't worry. I mean, a tortoise eats lettuce. I mean, it's not a threat. It's slow. So I know I can get away from it. But when I feed Simon or take Simon out of the cage, I have to be careful. I have to treat him with respect and, and appreciate just how powerful he is. Have you ever noticed pirates? You notice that pirates always have an eye patch on the shoulder that, or next to the shoulder where they hold their parrot? There's a reason. You'll never catch me putting Simon on my shoulder. It's dangerous. He's powerful, so I have to treat him with respect. I have to be careful. According to the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord will produce certain benefits in our life as well. It will motivate us and push us in the right directions. Uh, it is the beginning of wisdom, as we mentioned. It motivates people to holiness. Thinking about God and displeasing him helps me to stay in line with his will. And stay away from things that I know he doesn't want. It prolongs life. It produces a sense of security. It produces life. Or in other words, it's described as a fountain of life, an abundant life. It makes all of life better. Being in God's will helps us, and fearing him helps us to do that. It produces satisfaction and safety, and it brings great blessings. Think about it this way. You know you know when you are out of God's will. You know when you're in God's will. When did you feel the best? When did you feel the most secure? When did you feel closest to God? Obviously, it was when you were walking in his ways. And so that's truth. So, again, I'd just like to say we're going to be going through the book of Proverbs. It's going to take us uh, through the next uh, four Sundays. So all together is five Sundays. Today's January 1st. If you read Proverbs 1 today, just chapter 1 today, and then a chapter a day for the next 31 days, you'll finish it up in the book of January and about the same time that we get done. But the question for today is, do you fear God? C.S. Lewis wrote some books and stories, and in one of his books, he he had a character that was supposed to represent Jesus. It was a lion. And one of the characters asked, is he safe? And the answer is, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And in reality, that is a way of thinking about Jesus. He is powerful, and he will come back with great power and glory. And we should never treat him in a cavalier way. We should never look at our lives and say we can do whatever we want. We should want to please him. I started out with a story about a dog named Bruce. The truth of the matter is, as I look back at that story now, I see something else. 
Remember, I've encountered Bruce in my backyard, and my neighbor said, don't run, he might bite you. That should teach us something. God is powerful, and there are people who you know and I know who may be in here today who have been running from God forever. And that's a mistake. You're running from power. You are running from the creator of the universe. In fact, we have no stories or examples that really describe how big God is. The truth is, you should be like, like I don't want him to be my enemy. I want to make peace with him. You should want to walk with him. You dare not run from him. You should always desire to run to him because he is the place of safety, the place of security. The place of power. The wisest drivers always drive as if there's an Indiana State Trooper in their rearview mirror. The wisest pirates never let their parrots sit on their shoulders. And the wisest Christians fear God. Fear him so much that we dare not run from him. But knowing he is good and knowing he is powerful, we continually run back to him every chance we have. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and great and powerful and that there's none that can stand before you without the blood of your Son. And so, Lord, we just pray today for the people we know who are running from you. We pray that they will turn back and make peace with you. Lord, we pray that uh, as this year begins, that we will learn from you, from the words of the book of Proverbs, that we will learn wisdom and that we will appreciate just how great and good and wise you are. Lord, I thank you that you preserved this book so we may study. We thank you for this opportunity to begin this year. And Lord, as we continue to worship you, may our hearts be amazed at your power and majesty. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.